Hey, this is Andy Lucas, pastor of Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this message helps you grow in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry, visit theroadfc.org and click the giving link. Um, it has been our tradition over the past few years to, during the summer, turn our attention uh, to either the poems of the Psalms or the wisdom of the Proverbs. Uh, now, we do this each and every summer because we believe strongly as a church that these ancient poems and these wisdom sayings of the Proverbs are just as relevant today as they have ever been. Uh, relating to the Proverbs, as a culture, we are absolutely stuffed with information and absolutely starved for wisdom. <laughs> and so every now and then, we need to churn our attention to the wisdom of the Proverbs and the Scripture to help inform our lives and our practices of faith. Uh, but we turn our attention to the Psalms, uh, and, and the Psalms are helpful because as we read them, uh, we come to see that uh, the emotions that are portrayed in these ancient poems are actually all over the map. And so as you read the Psalms, what we'll, what we'll recognize is that there are Psalms of, of praise and celebration, uh, Psalms that essentially say, yay, God, <laughs> right? And maybe you've been in those moments of life where you're like, yay, God, you came through, you broke through, you answered prayer, and you can resonate with those yay, God kind of Psalms. But we also go on to read that there are Psalms that, that display uh, emotions like doubt, anger, frustration, psalms that say, what are you doing, God? <laughs> or, or, or maybe, maybe the, the psalms that essentially say, how could you let this happen? Uh, there are psalms where if you were to see the, the bodily posture of the psalmist as he writes it, he might be shaking his fist in the air. And then there are also uh, psalms of, of lament of disappointment, psalms that seem to communicate a message, God is absent, he is nowhere to be found, and he wasn't there when I needed him. In talking about emotions, I, I felt like we needed to communicate in a way that our culture would understand, and so I've put together a picture of emojis, <laughs> the emojis of the psalms, here it is, uh, the psalms present to us all kinds of these emotions, right? From the far left, which is happy and celebratory and things are good, and then extreme anger. And then, I don't know if you're properly using this one, but this is the disappointment emoji. <laughs> uh, and so you have this, this huge scale uh, of emotions that are present in these, these poems that we call the Psalms. Now, we study the Psalms, and we give our attention to the Psalms because they help give us a language to engage with God in times of celebration and praise, but also the seasons of deep doubt, anger, or betrayal. In other words, what the Psalms do for us is they teach us that our entire life is under the rule of God, where everything may be submitted to him. And I want you to hear that. These poems teach us that our entire life is under the rule of God, where everything may be submitted to God. And we learn then to give God the fullness of our emotion, which saves us then from taking out that level of emotion on, on our enemy, 
So when we come to the Psalms that are angry, the, the, the middle face, the red-faced anger emoji, and we come to the Psalms that are presenting that to us, if we don't give that to God, we are very likely to take that out on the person that, well, caused us to be angry. And what the Psalms do is they give us permission and they give us language for taking that level of emotion to God as a way of saying that God is the ruler over all of life. Does that make sense? And so as we begin our six-week series through these uh, first poems of the collection, we're just going to do Psalm 1 through 6 over the next few weeks, I want to give us a framework uh, for thinking about and organizing these beautiful and rich expressions of human emotion. And I have to admit, though, I am borrowing this framework from Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann. Uh, You have to be a theologian if your name is Walter Brueggemann, right? Uh, There's no other option for you in in your career in life. Um, But here's, here's the framework. The Psalms fall into one of three categories. They're either Psalms of orientation, Psalms of disorientation, or Psalms of new orientation, or what we'll sometimes call reorientation. Uh, Psalms of orientation are, are the Psalms that are born out of seasons of life where there is stability, predictability, and a consistent flow of blessing. <laughs> Some of you are like, I haven't been there in a long time. But some of you might say, hey, I've been there. I'm there right now. But there are seasons of life uh, where, where things are, are well-ordered. They're going really, really well. And there's just this consistent flow of blessing. And so thus, the Psalms of orientation articulate things like joy and delight and goodness and coherence. And, and they speak of a world that is reliable. Not only is the world reliable, but God is reliable. God's creation, his governing law, all of these things are predictable, reliable, coherent, and well put together in these psalms of orientation. In these psalms, then, things happen just as they are supposed to happen. Justice is carried out. The righteous are blessed and protected, and sin is met with the consequences. But then there are psalms of disorientation. So just as there are seasons of of certainty and blessing in our life, there are also seasons of hurt and alienation and suffering and death. And and certainly I'm talking about a physical death, maybe of a loved one, but I'm also talking about all the, the metaphorical deaths that we might experience in our life. And these times evoke in us things like rage or resentment or self-pity, hatred either toward another or even toward ourselves. They evoke feelings and emotions like confusion or doubt or frustration. In fact, the, the jarring nature of those emotions in the Psalms of disorientation are reflected in the language because the language often is extravagant. It's, it includes hyperbole, and it's often abrasive. And, and so when you come across these, these poems, these psalms, and that's what we need to recognize, first of all, is that we're looking at an ancient genre of, of poetic literature. And so it, it's very hard to just take at face value. Uh, there's a poem in elementary school that I had to memorize. Uh, I guess nowadays, at least in our, our children's school, they're memorizing poems all the time, but I only remember one that I had to memorize, and it was, uh, it was a poem by Robert Frost, Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry I could not travel both, so be one traveler long I stood and looked at one as long as I could, uh, and, and on and on it goes. But of course we, we recognize that Robert Frost isn't 
talking about two actual roads. Uh, he's talking about a point of decision in our life. And the same is true when we come to the Psalms. Uh, we shouldn't be so quick to just take them at face value, but recognize there is poetic literature happening here. And so when it comes to the Psalms of disorientation, because they're, they're, uh, they're written in a season of, of such jarring nature, the, the language tends to be very extravagant, abrasive, and even includes hyperbole and metaphor. In fact, when you read these psalms, you might respond with, whoa, that is rough. Like, you might say to the psalmist, relax, man. Like, what is going on? But let's just be honest. There are some times in life where only that kind of language will do. And then, of course, there are psalms then of new orientation or reorientation. Uh, These are the times when out of the darkness, light shines. And when out of despair, joy is found. These are moments of new orientation, reorientation. Poems that then reflect this this new orientation speak about the newness of God's gifts and, and his propensity to make all things new. So anytime that you come across a psalm that just celebrates the God who makes all things new. This is a psalm of of reorientation. These are the psalms that celebrate the sovereignty of God, not the kind of sovereignty of God that God has caused all of this to happen, but the sovereignty of God that is able to take even the worst moments of our life and insist on bringing us into a new place. In fact, I would submit to you that the sovereignty of God is not that God is so powerful that he can control every happening of the world like, like we're all just uh, puppets on a string, but rather the sovereignty of God is that God can take even the most evil that is poured out, even the most desperate moments of our life, and bring something new out of that. That, to me, paints a picture of the sovereignty of God that is far more beautiful than God is just some sort of uh, robotic God, and, and we're just a bunch of uh, puppets following his, his every whim and will. And so Psalms of reorientation. In fact, that same, uh, that same theologian, Walter Brueggemann, says this. He says, these declarative hymns tell of a tale of, dis- of a decisive time, an inversion, and they re- a reversal of fortune, a rescue, deliverance, saving, liberation, and healing. In fact, the hymnic psalm, he says, is a surprising and buoyant articulation of a move of the person or community into new life-permitting and life-enhancing context where God's way and will surprisingly prevail. Such hymns are a joyous assertion that God's rule is known, visible, and effective just at the moment when we had lost hope. Psalms of orientation, disorientation, and then new orientation. And I would submit to you then and and invite you to notice that these categories actually reflect the human experience, do they not? That, That life itself falls into these same similar categories, that there are seasons of us for us of orientation, and then there are seasons of disorientation where we have no idea what seems to be going on, and, 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 and chaos is just all around us. Sometimes we might say, all hell is breaking loose in my life. And then we have these times of reorientation, new life, new opportunity that we never saw or never thought would come. 
You see, often what happens in life is we are moving suddenly and without warning from one to the other. (laughs) That is to say that no one really sees a season of disorientation coming. Uh, Think about the last time in your life, the last season of your life, where you were really disoriented and things were just like absolutely crazy. There's no way you could have seen it coming. And then reorientation, I would submit to you, often comes just when we thought the darkness would never end or the despair would never subside. Is right when the moments of new orientation or reorientation break in. That just at our most hopeless moment, we realize God is a God who makes all things new. And so these psalms reflect those seasons, and they bring those seasons to speech. Uh, and, and then in doing so, they give us language then, and I want, I want you to understand this. The psalms, in bringing those seasons to speech, give us language for engaging with God in all of those seasons. They give us language to rightly relate with God in the midst of all of the, the wide spectrum of those seasons. And this is why throughout the history of the church, the psalms have been prayed and they have been sung. And it is because they give voice to the human experience. In fact, I would submit to you, I hope that you're not just reading psalms uh, that are psalms of celebration. But I hope that you'll take the time to read the psalms that are psalms of lament and disappointment and frustration and anger. Because the next time you feel that way, those psalms will give language and speech for you to rightly relate with God in the midst of those moments. Right? So the Psalms give us a language for engaging with God. And they also allow us to give those things to God so that we're not offering those things 100% to our neighbor. <laughs> Just like the anger. And I think the anger is, is one of the most important things. But there are other things that, that we need to submit to under the rule of God before we ever bring them to our neighbor. And the Psalms help us do that. And this is why we give our attention to them. And, and this is why uh, the church has, they've been central to the life of the church for so long. We need them all. We need the psalms of praise and doubt and anger and lament. And so the psalms give voice for human experience, but they also give voice uh, to the voice of God. Uh, for in these poems, we not only find our engagement with God, but we also find God's word back to us. Uh, To quote Walter Brueggemann again, he says, In this literature, the community of faith has heard and continues to hear the sovereign speech of God, who meets the community in the depths of need and in the heights of celebration. And so the Psalms present to us a God who is, in fact, present. A God who is active in our world. In fact, we just came out of Ascension Sunday, and part of Ascension Sunday, we were talking about how the ascension of Christ does not mean that that Christ is is absent. Oh, he went up into the sky, and now he's not here anymore. But rather, the ascension means that that Christ ascended into the heavenly realm, where he is now present in all of creation, where he rules as king. And the Psalms in this this post-Christ church era help give voice to that reality. And so the Psalms then are, are this, and I, I want, if, if there's one thing that you get away, come away with, I want you to understand this. The Psalms then are an, an articulation of life in all of its seasons. The Psalms are an articulation of life in all of its seasons. 
Now, let me give you one implication for this, and I promise we are going to look at a psalm this morning. This is just a long series introduction. Uh, But this means that the psalms are more descriptive than they are prescriptive. The psalms are more descriptive than they are prescriptive. If you tried to read them as prescriptive, as in you just open up a psalm and it gives a picture of life, the world, God, and you just tried to say, oh, God is like this or life is like this, uh, as, a, as sort of the static reality, then you, and, and you try to just prescribe those realities to God, what you would find is that you end up with a totally incoherent view of who God is and, and what life is all about, which is why we need a framework. We, we need a framework to be able to read the Psalms and say, is this a Psalm of orientation? Is this a Psalm of disorientation? Or is this a Psalm uh, of new orientation? In fact, we come across some of them, they're called imprecatory psalms. The imprecatory psalms are when you pray to God for your enemies to absolutely be destroyed and demolished. (laughs) It's like, I hate that person. God, would you kill them on my behalf? That would be awesome. Thanks. Smile face emoji, right? Like, it's, it's like, and you read these and you're like, whoa, am I, is this how, is this like, is this like a static reality of who God is that I could just like ask him to take out my enemies? Whoa. And then God, and then then Jesus comes on the scene and he's like, love your enemies, go the extra mile. And you're like, which is it? (laughs) Right? And so we, so we, the Psalms are descriptive, not prescriptive. Uh, so we need, and, and what we're going to do throughout this series and over the next few summers as we look at the Psalms is, is really just begin to understand, like, how do we engage with these Psalms once we understand this, this framework? Um, okay, so that is a really long series introduction. Uh, I want to spend a little bit of time then actually tackling Psalm 1. Uh, Psalm 1 says this. It'll be up on your screen. You can follow along in your Bibles as well. Uh, but Psalm 1, and, and as we're reading, try to figure out, what is this? Is this a psalm of orientation, disorientation, uh, or reorientation? Try to figure this out. Psalm 1 says this, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, uh, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. But not so for the wicked. For they are like chaff that the wind blows away. And therefore the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction." I love it. <laughs> oh, that is classic. Classic. I'm going to have you read every psalm from this, this Sunday moving forward. That was amazing. Okay, so is this a psalm of orientation, disorientation, or reorientation? Orientation, you're right. A little, little uh, feedback, that's good. Uh, it's a psalm of orientation. Uh, in this, this world, the, the world presented to us in the psalm is, is a world where everything is well-ordered, everything is predictable, everything is reliable. Uh, this is absolutely a world of orientation. Everything is as it should be. 
And then we, we get this interesting correlation and relationship then between the creation and the law or the Torah. Uh, it says, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the way of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. And so we get this relationship between this, this well-ordered creation and the Torah. And, and what, what happens is, what is that relationship? Well, the relationship is the law articulates God's intention for Israel within the well-ordered creation. So let me, let me break that down just a little bit more. We understand from this psalm that for Israel, the center of the worship, their worshiping life was obedience to the law. In so doing, they were ordering and conducting their lives in accordance with God's ordering of creation. So let me make that a little bit more clear. God's creation is well-ordered and predictable. Obey God's law, and you'll find that to be true. So in this psalm, there's a relationship between the law and creation, and the relationship is this. God's creation is well-ordered and predictable. Obey God's law, and you will find that to be true. In other words, in this psalm, there is no neutral ground. There's no, there's no gray area. There's no fuzzy places or decisions uh, it, this meant, this no neutral ground kind of concept or worldview of the psalm uh, is, means that the world is very easily organized into those who obey the law and are blessed, those who disobey the law and are cursed. In fact, notice how the psalm is organized into strict either-or categories. Either be a happy person, who enjoys obeying the law and thinking about the law, or be, be the wicked one who refuses to delight in the law. Either or categories. Either be the person who is like the tree who soaks up life-giving water by a nearby stream, or be like the chaff that wind blows away easily. Either be protected as you walk in the ways of the righteous or take the path that leads to destruction. In this psalm, there's no middle ground. There's no gray area. And the world of this psalm presents choices that are black and white. And in this world, everything is predictable. Obey God's law, be protected and blessed. Disobey God's law, be stricken. Plain and simple, just like that. question to ask when you're reading the Psalms. Two questions. Does this describe the world? And does this describe the world in which I now live? Because there is, each of us has a context. We could describe that as, as our world, our worldview, our neighborhood, this, our little circle of influence. This is our world. But, but your world may or may not describe what is happening in the broader world. And so when you come to the Psalms and you read this world of easy predictability and everything is reliable, everything is as it should be, does this describe my world? Does this describe the world? 
I want to submit to you today that the, the easy, ordered world that is presented to us in this psalm is not the world that we live in. At least not the broader world. Because guess what? There are many, many people who love the Lord, who walk in the way of Jesus, who live with humility and are subject to terrible injustice, hurt, pain, isolation, etc. You see, we, we can't just read, obey God's laws and be blessed and protected because we don't see that playing out in the world. And if I, if I could be so bold as to say that disagreement with this likely means that you are coming from a position of incredible power and privilege. In fact, I've, I've lived most of my life from a very privileged position. <laughs> I recognize that. But, but I have come to realize that the life of faith is not so formulaic as obey the rules and be blessed or disobey the rules and be cursed. I don't think that life is that clean. I don't think the world is that clean. Good job, pastor. What in the world are we supposed to do with Psalm 1 now? <laughs> Thanks for nothing. <laughs> and so that really raises a question. When the Psalms give us this, this world of orientation, what in the world are we supposed to do with it? When the poem presents to us a world that doesn't feel like our own, and whether that is the broader world and culture or whether that is our own, right? Because have you ever been in a season of tremendous orientation? Things are just really going well and you read a psalm of disorientation and you're like, dude, like relax, what's the big deal? Because it just doesn't resonate, it just doesn't land on your heart, right? And so the question becomes both on a personal level and a broader level, what in the world do we do with psalms that don't describe our world? in the world in which we live? Well, let me give you at least some ideas. In, in particular, what do we do with this psalm, uh, a psalm of orientation? I would submit to you that these psalms that present to us a well-ordered creation and tremendous praise to God help, our, help us articulate praise to a God who is worthy. These psalms help us to articulate praise to a God who is worthy. If you are in a season of orientation in your life, things are going really well, then these psalms and psalms like this one help bring speech to our praise. Because isn't it our tendency to cry out to God when we are struggling and then to go silent when things are going really well? And so for, for when, we, when there is a match between the, the world of the psalm and our world, and that world is one of orientation, I would submit to you these psalms help give us language for articulating incredible praise to a God who is worthy. Now, if you aren't in a season of orientation, these poems help us picture a God who cares for us, who protects and watches over us in ways that maybe we didn't expect. And so if you are reading this and you are in a season of disorientation and you're like, this psalm says, obey God and be blessed, 
And yet you look and you, and you pray another beautiful Psalm 51. And you say, God, would you search and know my heart and find any unrighteous way in me? And, and you come back and you're like, to the best that I know how, I am following the ways of God and I am obedient to the ways of God and yet I'm walking through this really difficult time. This psalm helps articulate a God who is still present in your, in, in your circumstance, caring, loving, and watching over. Because guess what? There, there is this reality that when we read things that don't necessarily match what we're feeling, we are pulled in that direction. And so when we come here on Sunday mornings and as we sing songs of, of praise and celebration of who God is, that may not be where your heart is at, but by singing and, and, and like using your vocal cords to make noise, by raising your hands in praise, that's okay in this church, by the way, uh, you can raise your hands in praise. What that does is it helps pull your heart in that direction. And so when we read the Psalms, we may say, this does not describe where I'm at, but it talks about a God who, who is watching over me, who's caring for me, who's protecting me. Let me be pulled in that direction of faith. Does that make sense? And so we read the Psalms to help us articulate praise to God. We read the Psalms of orientation to help pull our heart in the direction of a God who watches over us and cares for us. But then, even then, I would submit to you that we can, and if we are reading this and we, it just does not match where we're at, we can take this and we can place ourselves in this well-ordered world. Here's what I mean. What I mean is literally read yourself into the psalm. The psalm talks about a tree that is planted near a stream, soaking in and drinking in the life-giving water. If you are in a season of disorientation, placing yourself in that well-ordered world brings tremendous healing. I did something dangerous last week when we took time to all take a spiritual gift inventory as part of the sermon. I want to do something dangerous again. I want to take just a few moments to practice this and invite you to enter yourself and place yourself into the psalm. So I'm going to read it. I'm going to read it slowly. I'm going to read it up to verse, through verse 3. And I want you to see yourself as the tree that is planted near a stream and soaking in and drinking in the life-giving water of Christ, okay? And some of you are like, dude, that is weird. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. Um, give it a shot and see if it brings healing. Let's take a moment. Let me read this. You can close your eyes. You can bow your head. You can have your eyes open. I'm not gonna dictate how you do this, but I encourage you to do it. Place yourself in the psalm. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. But blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. 
But that person, me, I, am like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. But that person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither Whatever they do prospers. I would submit to you that placing yourself inside these Psalms of orientation can help us praise God and find healing by putting ourselves, even though our world is in chaos, we put ourselves in a well-ordered world and we allow that to bring healing. You may have noticed that this will sometimes happen to you when you didn't expect it. Let me tell you about a time that it happened to me. Um, And it wasn't with a psalm. What I'm asking you to do is, is take what we may have already experienced in life and then do it intentionally in the psalms. Um, Spoiler alert if you have not seen the new Ben-Hur. Uh, maybe not a spoiler alert, but I wanted to describe it. I, I was, uh, Amy and I went and saw uh, the new Ben-Hur when it was in the cheap theater, because that's the way to go. Um, so we went and saw it in the cheap theater, and it was in a season of my life of utter disorientation. Uh, just felt like everything was falling apart, and that, including myself, I, I felt like I was crumbling. And there's a moment in there, and if you know anything about the story about Ben-Hur, it tells the story of Ben-Hur, but it's interwoven with the, the life and story of Christ. And in, in one of the scenes, uh, Ben-Hur is, is struggling. Uh, he and his brother have been at odds with one another. Uh, and then in one of the scenes, as he's struggling, Jesus comes up to him and, and offers him just a cup of, of cold water. And that was it. That was the scene. So I guess it's not a spoiler alert. Uh, but in the in the scene, Jesus goes up to this to, to Ben Hur, who is just in a season of utter pain, and offers him a cup of water. And quite unexpectedly, I absolutely lost it. I was sobbing in the theater, and it's like like nothing happened. <laughs> like all that happened was like. Ben Hur drank. That's what the script said, you know. Like, but but in this moment, it was just like, oh God, what I need more than anything right now is for you to just give my soul this fresh drink of water. And so I want us to take those moments that we may be familiar with, that just sort of like happen to us. And with some intentionality, begin to place ourselves in the Psalms to say, God, I need to be right now that tree that soaks up water, that bears fruit in season, and that experiences your blessing 
on whatever I'm involved in. This is not a promise that it will happen, but it is healing to our hearts. You with me? And so what do we do with these psalms when we're not, when they don't just perfectly identify where we're at? We enter that world. We enter that world. The second thing I would submit to you that what the psalm of orientation does for us is that they become for us poetic expressions of hope. Poetic expressions of hope. Because again, the the psalms of orientation present to us a a well-ordered creation, and yet we look around and we see our Twitter feeds and our Facebook feeds and the news headlines and everything, and we just look around at the world, and even though in our little microcosm of a world, things might be really going really well, we can't help but look at the broader world and say, you know what, this place is broken and hurting. And so I would submit to us that these psalms that present to us a well-ordered creation become for us poetic expressions of hope. In fact, I would submit to you, we really have two options. Option one, read them with a seasoned cynicism that rolls your eyes and says, what is this world that this person is talking about? We might read the psalm and say, that person is so Ignorant. They have no idea what the world of today is really like. And we could roll our eyes with this, the seasoned, easy cynicism. <laughs> or, option number two, we could read the psalm with hope that one day all of creation will, in fact, be properly ordered. That God's justice will be carried out that the righteous rewarded, and all will delight in the ways of God. And so we can read this, roll our eyes, and say, oh, that is not the place I live. Or we could read it, and we could begin to pray it, and say, oh, God, would you bring about this kind of world? God, would you bring about your justice that is described in this psalm? And we could turn this psalm into a prayer, a hopeful prayer, a prayer of tremendous hope. And I would submit to you, I hope we take this road. (laughs) I hope that we'll allow the psalms of orientation to fill us with hope that one day the world will in fact be ordered for all who call upon his name. I was a district assembly uh, this past weekend, for those of you that may not know, that's a denominational meetings. It was held in Denver this year, and just a tremendous speaker. Uh, and yesterday morning, he talked about how he was a prisoner of hope. And I thought, I am totally going to steal that. <laughs> because that's what I want to be. A prisoner, is hope, a prisoner of hope is someone who looks, and looks at the world, and though all the evidence is to the contrary... And all the evidence would say that, you know what, there is no reason to hope. All the evidence says this is absolutely hopeless. But I refuse to do that. I want to be a prisoner of hope. Because I want to be a prisoner of hope because I am captured by this message of hope that one day all things will be made new. That one day all things will be reconciled. 
that I'm utterly captured and enraptured by this story. I cannot let go of it. And so I have become a prisoner of hope. That regardless of how hopeless things look and how hope truly hopeless they have become, I refuse to listen to that voice because I've become a prisoner of hope. Because the story of the gospel is one that refuses to let go of hope because it offers to us this world where all things will be made new, all things reconciled to Christ. Creation liberated from the bondage of sin, ourselves liberated from the bondage of sin, relationships repaired, all of these things. And so may we together not turn to cynicism, which is so easy, but may we together read and enter into these poetic expressions of tremendous hope. And may there we find healing for whatever it is that we may be going through, that you may be going through. 